0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. hope you're having a great night. We've got a brilliant show planned for you as always going to be talking about ways to deal with toxic family members. Why? Because the holidays are coming up and that's something that's always on people's minds. Um, I know. You know, you go home and all the old ways of being, all the old struggles, the wounds, bam, right back in your face. I'm hoping people are going to be able to travel for Christmas. We have to see though, right? Uh, Thanksgiving didn't go so well. Christmas, we'll see. The vaccine will most likely be available to the general public till deep into next year, you know? So we'll see what happens with Christmas. But as always, we'll be here reminding you that it's okay to do it differently, right? We can still decorate, celebrate, just have to kind of, you know, keep a little bit of a space from. Those we normally spend time with. Um, Interesting article, and this made me laugh. It's basically about how uh, dating over 65, a lot of people, women specifically, don't want to live together. Now the article is looking at how a lot of men over the age of 65 want to move in with a woman, keep dating, they want companionship, they want to build a traditional relationship. However, these men are finding that there's a lot of resistance to women their age who want to maintain their own lives. They've already done marriage, kind of burnt them out the way that the marriage was run. They don't want a full-time relationship necessarily. Um, They want the companionship, but they uh, don't want the codependence, the tension of living in uh, close quarters, the sacrifices, the caregiving, all the emotional labor. Oh yeah, that's right. Marriage tends to serve men better psychologically. Why? Because when heterosexuals get into relationships, they backslide into traditional gender roles where the woman's expected to, even if working outside the home, still do all the labor inside the home and the labor of worrying about the emotional and romantic pieces. So um, they're saying, you know what, we're not doing that anymore. We'll just kind of do it on a more equity-based model. You live where you live, I'll live where I live. We'll have dates, we'll hang out, we'll, we'll travel, but I don't wanna take on responsibility for your life. And that's essentially what that's about. And I think if we ran marriages differently, where people still took full responsibility from themselves and didn't think, ah, I'm marrying, and therefore based on my partner's gender, I can expect that they're gonna do a whole list of uh, responsibilities and caretaking, things might be better and that's where we see the success of gay couples. There's no assumptions about what role someone's gonna play and so they actually have to have those conversations. They don't just unconsciously assume and backslide. They don't assume that uh, hey, I'm the dude so I'm gonna go out to uh, the office and my female partner of course won't or will be home cooking same sex couples have to actually negotiate. Hey, what do you prefer to do? What is your assets? What does your current schedule allow for? Where, where do I need to step in? And, and I think that that's great. And that's why there's a lot that um, straight couples can learn from gay couples, but um, yeah, dating over 65, people have more confidence. They communicate, they set better boundaries, but that's also why, you know, romance and sexuality can improve as well, right? Because we have more confidence. We're more willing to be vulnerable and ask for what we want. So Shifts and changes, Um, so much more that's come though, especially with the whole concept of designer relationships where people are saying, what do we need? Because looking at another study here, it's talking about psychological flexibility and it's saying that it's one of the top and most important things to have in a relationship for longevity and health. And that's great. Think about that. Just the word flexibility. You kind of roll with things. You'll let it go. Nothing's hard lined. You show up and deal with what you need to deal with in the moment. No expectations, right? A multitude of ways to kind of cope with or deal with whatever's going on. So that's great. It's being open to new experiences, not having a preconceived idea, um, broad perspective, actively engaging our values, taking steps towards goals. Um I love that, I love that, flexibility. It's, it's one of the most important parts of neurological health, but also relational health and, and personal psychology. The world, as we saw this year, throws a lot of strange obstacles at you that you never saw coming or were prepared for. But if we have psychological flexibility, we can say, okay, this is happening. And I don't need to overly identify or attach with it. I don't, I don't necessarily need to make personal meaning out of it. But whatever's going on around me, how? what does this require from me? And I think that that can really be an important part of parenting, but also relationships. Um, not going in with these hard lines, but that's, that's what's so fascinating is that's actually what does wind up happening is so many assumptions and rules. We rarely just let ourselves be the authentic beings we are and kind of trust that we'll deal with what shows up. And if you're in a trusting relationship, well, then you know that your partner's got you back. And if you don't trust that, well, then you have a bigger issue, right? But uh, work on that psychological flexibility. I think we could all do better that way. But we get so hung up on these limits and labels like, you know, you're a man, you're a mother, you're this kind of profession. And so we make all these assumptions, which just really robs the person of being able to be who they truly are in the moments that they're in. But all that to say that relationships can be such a beneficial addition to our lives, adding a little bit of distraction, some joy, some companionship. Just try to be a good partner and remember that like right now is a great time to bring that into your life. Even if it has to be long distance, a lot of really beautiful levels of, you know, uh, psychological and emotional intimacy can really be built because you're not over relying upon the physical as a way to kind of feel close and connected. So I don't know. I think a lot can come out of this time in that way. But uh, all right, coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, emotionality, toxic families, preparing for the holidays, setting boundaries, having plans, just really knowing how to take care of ourselves so uh, we can spend the next <laughs> couple months actually, you know, what, uh, nourishing and nurturing ourselves and getting better after this rough, rough, rough year. All right, you are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, everybody. We are back, and uh, we're going to talk about the holidays that are coming up. And I want everyone to start thinking. We just got over a holiday, and I say we got over because I, I'm working with a lot of people, and I have a lot of you know friends in my life who follow the recommendations from the public health professionals. And we were told, please stay home over uh the holiday weekend for those that celebrated as indigenous people's day or thank the ancestors day or god bless uh thanksgiving uh, it uh was a time of isolation for a lot of individuals it's really hard, you know. Uh, you're forced to encounter a lot of different forces. For some people, they're looking at the quality of the relationships that they have around them, in terms of friendship, family members, also whether or not they are happily or unhappily single or partnered up. So holidays bring up all different kinds of uh, feelings and senses of just what the future could look like. So. For some people, it's truly about just getting through them and they prefer to not really acknowledge it. Now, for others, they have that tension of whether or not they want to go home. We have another slew of big holidays coming up. Um, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Hanukkah, a uh, uh, Winter Solstice. There, there's so many coming up. And um, I, I, I'm always kind of trying to find loving ways to remind people about boundaries, right? So we have these familial and cultural norms, and, and those come with a lot of pressures, a lot of pressures to continue to spend the holidays the way maybe you always have. And that's often, again, with family members. But we're talking all the time about mental and psychological health, right? And sometimes these environments and these people are just not healthy for us. So the dilemma becomes... How do you manage that, especially when there are some people that you do want to spend time with during the holidays, but in those same spaces, maybe back home or in the family home, there's others that you don't want to necessarily share time and space with. So every year we talk about this, and this is something that comes up whether it's someone who's fat or larger bodied and they don't want to go home and have their weight loss or weight gain discussed. Uh, People that are straight bodied also don't necessarily want their weight or body talked about. People don't want to be asked why they're single or if they're in a relationship maybe when they're getting married or when they're having a child. Sometimes people are dating, have a partner who's of an exploited, marginalized identity. They're dating someone who is uh, black or of color, and you know some racism and bigotry maybe comes up, and so it can be very, very, very difficult. People that are gay or queer, they know that maybe they won't be welcomed, or they're supposed to show up, silencing a part of them. Right? Well, they'll say maybe we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about all that stuff. Oh, we're not gonna talk about who I am. (laughs) My total presence isn't uh, welcomed or safe here. So every year I remind people that you get to decide whether or not you participate in these family or cultural norms or customs. And it's okay if you choose that you don't wanna keep honoring that or you know, feeling pressure to participate that you don't have to. Um, We're allowed to change family norms and rituals and customs based on our mental health or what our needs are or the safety of family members. Now I want to start first off by talking just about the sobriety piece because that's something that comes up. Someone gets sober or has been sober and maybe going home means being around a lot of people drinking or you know, some individuals don't really want to ever be around alcohol. I do work with some sober people who've made the decision that to be around alcohol in any capacity feels unsafe and so they don't go to birthday parties. They don't go to weddings. Um, and that's okay. You know, your, your needs come before someone's birthday, your needs come before someone's wedding or baby shower. I will always say that those are parties, your mental health and your physical health mean more than attendance at a party. Lovingly let people know if you're comfortable disclosing, but it becomes a larger conversation that we need to, we need to understand that, that it's okay to be told no. Um, A lot of people won't accept a no and they'll want to understand why or they'll apply pressure. But please, if someone says, listen, unfortunately, I'm not able to attend your party, whatever the party is, a wedding, a a baby shower, a holiday, say, okay. especially if you don't know the person well, Um, it's not appropriate to demand or push back. Uh, The most important day in your life might be, you know. Really, a battle about someone else's most important thing, right? Your priorities aren't always going to be theirs, and people have to often honor where they're at. So, I want to start with the sober piece. So, what we usually talk about in terms of sobriety is a few things. You can ask ahead of time, um, whether be alcohol there, and uh, you can also say, if you're a family member and you're going home, hey, listen, um, I'm not really comfortable being around alcohol, is there a way that we can keep the alcohol? away until certain time. And at that time I'll leave, you know, like maybe we can do dinner at five. And if everyone wants to start drinking around seven, that will be my cue to exit others. They'll stick around while people are drinking, but they leave when the purpose of the drinking changes. And it's something I think a lot of people can relate to where you go to a party or even a bar. And in the beginning, people are drinking as a supplement or compliment to them talking and catching up with friends. And for many, that's when it's still safe. But the minute the night switches and it's about just getting wasted and people are getting sloppier. That's the sign for sober people to leave. Often they'll leave at that moment. So that's always available for you as well. I also talk about having a secondary place to stay because some people are going home where there maybe are abuse abusive individuals, which again, you don't have to ever enter a space around abusive individuals, but it might be a family member or friend where there's a history of abuse, and I'll say to them, maybe you don't feel safe, safe uh, staying in the home, so have a secondary place to maybe crash. And that can make a lot of people feel more empowered, knowing that they're not at the mercy of the family members because they're actually going to be sleeping there, right? So if you get a hotel room, or you have a friend that says you can stay there, it'll help you really hold those boundaries. And when you realize that you're at a point where things aren't feeling comfortable or okay again, that's when you kind of slowly exit. And family members have to be okay with that. Family is some of the most boundaryless people. And unfortunately, when you get healthy and start uh, setting boundaries, it's rare that people will say, ah, thank you for setting a boundary with us, thank you. We will help honor that, you know? Most people say change back, change back in theory. They like the idea of someone getting healthier or sober, but they often really just want it to be the way it used to always be. Because if you're healthier, then guess what? They have to be healthier too. If you start setting boundaries, they have to learn how to honor them. If you start saying no, they have to learn how to allow you to have autonomy and take care of yourself. Um, All right, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to continue talking about this because so many holidays coming up. But this also just applies in the times of COVID to also needing to take care of yourself around that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Oh, right. We're back and we're talking about boundaries. Essentially, we're talking about mental health. We're talking about how do we honor what we need around the holidays, which is a time when there's a lot of pressures and a lot of expectations to do what you've always done and to go home and to be around certain people and to you know, let certain needs go. And being around family, that's a thats a space around which a lot of our old stuff comes back. It's so fascinating how someone can be a certain way in the world, and then they go home or they're around family, and there's very much a regression. And that's the that's really the power and the pressure of people trying to maintain family of origin dynamics. But the work as an adult is to shift and change those because those dynamics and boundaries aren't always born out of a really healthy process there's usually a hierarchy, right? Where mom and dad, whatever they say, whatever they want goes and their needs come first. And then children are supposed to kind of fall in line. And as we grow up and become adults of our own, we get to decide kind of what we need. So we were talking in our last segment, mainly about sobriety. And if someone goes home to an environment where there's, alcohol use setting you know rules around that now we also want to talk about that in terms of people's bodies uh family members love talking about someone gaining weight losing weight so i want to remind you if you're around a very unhealthy family system that talks a lot about weight you again also get to decide how long you participate around that Uh, again we always talk about a plan b having somewhere else to stay so that you really can set those boundaries and if they're not honored you can say hey listen it's time for me to call it a night but there's always this conversational piece where remember If a conversation is started, whether they're talking about, you know, sobriety, your body, whatever else it is, uh, politics, you're allowed to say, hey, listen, I'm going to stop you. That's not something I'm comfortable talking about Uh, because we're trying to really normalize not discussing, you know, intimate parts of someone without their permission, whether it's their body, their sobriety, their mental health, their relational status, because these topics always come up. You know, people want to check in and see where you're at, what you've been up to. And some of the questions they ask are just really rooted in these normalized expectations and a lot of us live outside of that. So it's big about, it's big boundaries, 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 boundaries. And uh, it really gives your family an opportunity to really learn how to honor them. Also try to find a family ally, right? See if there's a family member that you can maybe talk to ahead of time. And and with this family member, you essentially say to them, hey listen, I'm gonna be coming home, or I'm gonna be going to this event and I'm feeling really anxious. Can I rely on you? Um, can you be there for me? Would you be open to me pulling you aside if I need to process something? Or even even, can I just look over at you and have you smile back, and that'll just let me know that someone's in my corner? Maybe even go further. Can you help stand up for me or hold a boundary? Can you, you know, because we don't always want to feel like we're alone in these things, and it's very mentally healthy like I said, just to see the presence of the person, be able to talk with them, or even just go off and sit and talk about anything else. It gives you a safe space. We need to be able to have those, those anchors, right? Cause it's your holiday too. Again, as children, we are trained to just fall in line, but remember as an adult, And as a child, your comfort matters just as much as everyone else's. And often we'll do the opposite. Well, don't make grandma uncomfortable. Let her say those racist things. No, that is never acceptable. That's never okay. That creates an unsafe space for everyone. And I really wish we lived in a world where we were all on the same side and we would all say, hey, grandma, we're going to ask you to not talk like that at the holiday table or around individuals because that's not something we want to support or be around, right? But often it goes the other way. The exploited or minority based person is asked for them to stay quiet for the comfort of people that are, you know, bigots or prejudicial. And uh, I don't think that works well for really anyone. So, again, prep ahead of time, maybe a secondary place to stay, find a friend or family member who could be an ally, maybe bring someone with you if you can't, right? You can set boundaries ahead of time. You can maybe coordinate with the planner of that event or the party or whatever it is to see what's going to be available, right? If we can set times around things, there's just nothing more confidence enhancing than having a plan and not being, you know, really unexpectedly without having an idea as to how to manage certain things, just having these things pop up. So, and for some people, it's just going to be the fact that they're not going to go home at all because they realize that that labor, all the things we just talked about, are far too much for what the benefit of going might be. Not to mention time and finances. It's also something that's hyper depleting. So anyway, we gotta see what happens. Uh, Like I said, the holidays are close enough, but far enough away, we're still tracking COVID. And that's the other final piece. Like That's the other thing that they all talk about. How safe are the individuals that I'm supposed to be around? Is the event inside or outside cold weather? Most likely it's going to be inside. How many people are going to be there? Has anyone been tested? Are any of these people high risk? You know, these are the kinds of questions we have to get a little bit more familiar talking about, but, um, it's reasonable, right? It has to be reasonable. And if it's a family system where these things aren't reasonable, well, then we have an even bigger problem, right? Because then we're not really a healthy dynamic looking out for each other. Um, all right. Question of the night as always is up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that and, uh, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMS. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've been with my husband for six years. We have an open relationship and things have been great. Congrats. However, a few weeks ago, he told me he was going out with Stephanie, one of my friends. While we never discussed rules of our open marriage, I kind of felt that friends were off limits and that didn't need to be discussed. I was upset, still kind of am upset, tried to tell him how I felt, but he just said, okay, then I'll cut her off. That's not the point of an open marriage. Kind of confused on how to handle this moving forward. Yeah, you know, all relationships, all of them, closed, open, monogamous, non-monogamous, doesn't matter. All of them require respect. And an understanding that any decision we make impacts our partners. And I want people to accommodate that, you know, moving into an attachment based relationship where we're attached, where it's about consistency, familiarity, and really looking at how we move into an us and a we and it's no longer just me, me, me and what I want. Moving into relationship is about moving away from that. And so I'd always want us to lovingly consider the impact our decisions have on others. Now, having said that, I always point out, it's okay to do things that don't make our partners happy. It's okay to do things that disappoint our partners. If it's part of your ethics, you know, with care you can say to them, listen, I hear how you feel about this, but unfortunately I can't honor that and I'm okay with said behavior. You know, our job as a partner is to not ever upset our partners. Now, I don't mean that in in reference to this specifically, because if you're in an open marriage, Um, and your partner's saying, hey, listen, that's a friend of mine. That doesn't feel like a good boundary. I want you to be willing to kind of sit down and talk through that. But part of opening up any relationship is discussing expectations. At least talk about your expectations. I don't like roles as much as I do like the concept of boundaries where we're allowed to protect ourselves, talk about what our vision is, what the mission statement of that is. But even monogamous couples need to do that. We use this word monogamy. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? What are the expectations Around that, what am I committing to when I commit to being monogamous? Same thing when we say we're gonna have an open marriage. What are we committing to in saying that? What's the vision? What's the plan? What are our expectations? And constantly revisiting and talking about it. We don't. We don't do it and then pretend like it doesn't have ramifications. We don't open or close and act like case case close, it's all done. It's something we should always be talking about. How's monogamy going? How's non-monogamy going, right? Somehow we think it's like a one-off, but even monogamous couples should be checking in. How's it felt for the past couple of years? How's it felt for the past month being monogamous? Do we need to make any changes? Is that working for you? Is that working for me? Is that having a positive impact on a relationship? Is having a negative impact, right? We should be, these are ongoing things that we should still be talking about. Um, Again, people sadly see relationships as just like a box to check. And once we have it or we've gotten it, we think the work is done. But a lot can come out of talking about how's the relationship felt? How has our sex life felt? How have the boundaries we've held or not held felt? Have you been desiring to be with others or thinking about others? What does that mean? What could that look like? I want couples to be able to have these really difficult conversations because to commit to be with someone for the long term, especially even monogamously, is a huge commitment. And it shouldn't be something that's toxic or works against us, right? It should be an enhancer. Relationships take work, but shouldn't take a lot of work. That might be a sign that something's wrong and needs help. So. Great that you're in an open marriage. That doesn't mean there's no issues that come with that. That doesn't mean there's nothing more to be discussed. In fact, quite the opposite. And this, this situation where he was going to go out with a friend of yours is the reminder that maybe things aren't as clear. Maybe we need to talk more. Maybe we need to, again, talk about expectations or plans. You know, Nothing within relationships is ever just a free-for-all right it just doesn't quite work that way but i appreciate at least the tone in your in your message or your dm it's not accusing anyone of anything it's just desiring more clarity and more depth and i definitely think that you deserve that and that this situation requires that because our first thought shouldn't be when something happens that upsets us to yell or be angry it should be asking what made this come about you know what was this for what was this about can i how can i better understand you or what your needs are you know um All right, y'all, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So still some time to weigh in on that. Um, And also uh, DMs. You're hearing them, yo. You got a question for me? Drop them in our Loveline IG page. Producer Alex will pull them. Also, I try to pull some of them from my private page, but not as much. So, all right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And, uh relational readiness. Have you ever heard that word? Probably not. Most people have never heard of it. It's a term I bring into my clinical practice with the patients that I work with. Still doing telemedicine, online only, uh, not safe to return to the office. It's not gonna be that way for a long time. But relational readiness is something that I wish we all assessed. Being single (laughs) doesn't mean you're ready for a relationship. Every time you enter someone's life, in any form of relationship, but let's just think right now romantically, you're bringing your stuff in. So the relational readiness is a question we should all ask ourselves. Am I in a position where if I am brought into someone's life because they start dating me, am I gonna be good for them or would I be bad for them? What am I bringing in with me? Do I have a lot of unresolved trauma and a lot of work to do? Or do I feel like I'm in a good place where if I get brought in, I'll be, I'll be good for them. I'll make their life better. Or might I make their life more complicated and harder because I'm erratic, I'm very reactive, my, my triggers are flaring? And that's a question I want people to ask it's not always just about assessing the other, which is what people are very prone to doing, like looking for red flags in others, seeing what kind of partner the other person could be. But what about us? What are our red flags? And it's a really hard introspective thing. But again, if you're not doing well in any of your relationships, socially, familiarly, or work, It might be a sign to do some personal work before you get brought in in that much of an intimate way to someone's life romantically, you're not ready. If if your last relationships ended poorly, you were always upset and triggered, they, you know, and again, here's the powerful question I ask, if I were to interview your exes, what would they tell me about you? And if it's all bad negative things, well then you probably aren't relationally ready to enter someone's life, right? And you know you're ready when you've examined your triggers and you know what they are, You're prepared to acknowledge that that's a sign of where your work is. Because remember, if we're triggered, that's a sign of where we have to do work. It's not a sign of our partner shouldn't trigger us. It's we have a wound there and we need to heal it. It shows us where our work is. Our triggers are a mirror being held up so we can learn about who we are and what we need to work on. If you have a lot of them and they're flaring, you're not ready to be dated, right? I'm, I'm using that word purposely. You're not ready to be dated. You're not ready to be brought into someone's life. What is your mental health like right now? How are you doing? Not great, maybe not the best time to be brought into someone else's life. Have you done trauma work? Have you done therapy? Any 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 self explorative processes where you're introspective based on what you're reading and journaling, spiritual practice, are you ready? Are you in a great place to be dated? Are you dateable? What kind of relational readiness do you have? And I wish that that was something, people will sometimes talk about premarital counseling, realizing how much of a big step that can be. Well, we should also be doing that on our own prior to just getting into the dating world. And I people hate that, that entry point, but look back at who you were with your past relationships. Give yourself a letter grade. And if you're not doing somewhere in a B or an A, you're not ready. Get yourself up there, do some work. Some of the most beautiful stuff I'll do is a client enters saying, I want to work on who I am because I want to date again and I have a lot of leftover trauma or I know I was really horrible with the relationships I was in prior. I had to do that myself. You know, I came out of a relationship where the partner said to me, you know, really let me know what it was like. And I said, I don't ever want someone to walk away from having been in my presence relationally being worse off. That life is hard enough as it is. I don't want my presence to make it more difficult. I want people to date me or to be with me sexually and to say, I feel neutral or better. I'm glad that that occurred, you know? And so our exes, I tell clients ask all the time, ask people about their ex and the way they talk about their ex is gonna let you know if they leave lovingly, if they leave respectfully. But if they have horrible things to say about their ex, they're not friends with them anymore, they burn things down, that's a red flag. But I want you to assess yourself. If that's your storyline, you might not be dateable, you might not be relationally ready, again, to be brought into someone's life. Because our mental health and our mental functioning is an accumulation of all the people we're socializing around. Are your friends holding the bar high for you and demanding your best? Or are they supporting and signing off on your bad behavior? You know, that's work too, changing the health of the people you're socializing with, right? Getting into therapy and undoing some of that early childhood trauma. No more blaming others. You're responsible for who you are now and what you go do with that. We have to make you responsible for that, you know? It's okay to look back and make someone who created some of that responsible, but you're responsible for what you do with that. You have to be, no one else is. Um, And so again, it's about assessing others, how, you know, how datable is this person? Are there any red flags? But again, bringing it back to self. And I've said this before, but I really know that someone is doing good work when they talk about themselves, especially in couples therapy, they come in saying, Hey, Dr. Chris, let me let you know what I'm proud of that I did over the week. Let me also share with you areas where I want to improve because I wasn't proud. And the person isn't talking about their partner, they're talking about themselves, they're very self focused. And they have what we call an observing ego where they're watching and monitoring themselves and seeing what kind of person they're being and tracking. That's a beautiful sign of health. So try to do more of that. And until you've worked on and and handled your stuff, we can't even begin to look at the partner you're with because they're responding to you. It's a feedback loop. So as as soon as you can make yourself a non-variable, then we can examine them. But until then, you're still part of perpetuating and feeding that system that's broken or not working. So more questioning of self, more self-focus, more asking, am I dateable right now? Right? Am I relationally ready? Am I going to be a good partner? Am I going to make someone's life better by being brought in? We'll talk more about it. Uh, I want to remember to bring this up often to keep that reminder. Um, all right, y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're going to bust some myths. I love stuff like this. Oh, I spend so much time clinically and uh, in media just challenging all these myths that uh, lead us astray and do us wrong. They do us dirty. <laughs> Those myths do us dirty. But think about it. Sex education in our culture is horrible. It's just fear-based. It's very hetero. Nowhere do they talk about fun or pleasure. Nowhere do they talk about our entire body is an erogenous zone. It's all about just the reproductive areas. It's fear-based around STDs and STIs. It's a mess, you know, and no one comes out of that learning real skill. And it's often taught by like your dad, you know what I mean? No one with any sex education training or sexual comfort. It's never sex or body positive, never talks about queer sexuality or anal sex or all sorts of other things, how to use toys safely, gender. It needs to because those things are real and that's who we really are. So, I'm constantly needing to give people a better resource. There's, and a lot of the books that people are writing are the same regurgitated crap written for, I don't know who they're written for, but my books, Sex Outside the Lines and Rebel Love, were both written to include, well, as many people possible. It's really for everyone. So, let's bust some myths. Um, the first one being that um, sex only counts if you dot, dot, dot. Now, as I said in the earlier segment, everything is sexuality, it's a big umbrella. Sex is not always genital based sex does not always involve erections sex does not always involve orgasms and it doesn't always involve penetration and it doesn't even always involve other people you know if you're having sex with yourself that's sex if you're having outer course which means we're not penetrating but we're just doing other things outside of our bodies that's sex and the funny thing is when people challenge that, I say to them, hey, are you monogamous? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, oh, great. So penetration only counts. So if oral isn't sex, then your partner can give and get oral from other people. And they're like, well, no. And I'm like, okay, well, there's my point because that is sex to you. Is your partner allowed to, in your mind, are you comfortable? Not allowed because adults, it's not about allowed. Adults choose to honor boundaries they set because you're allowed to do whatever you want. You just choose to, to have those limits. But my point being is that whole monogamy reference, if Anyway, well, some people have very, very broad based senses of that, which is good because every couple, again, has to decide for themselves what monogamy means. Remember that. Don't assume something you have to talk about, which is always fascinating. People have a lot of anxiety about saying, hey, what do you consider monogamy? Like, we both said we're going to be, but like, what do you, what are the gray heirs? Because for some people, they're like, I don't mind flirting or sending pictures. Like, who cares? But other people, they do. So some people have stricter versions, other people, it's looser. So make sure you talk that out. Um, other myths to bust that get in our way is that sex isn't supposed to be painful, including anal. Yes, that's right. Everybody has the potential to enjoy anal. It's not just something for someone who's a prostate owner. Nope, we all have nerve endings. And for some, it's just the pleasure. Uh, it's called erotic empathy. We are excited and aroused by seeing our partner excited and aroused, right? And uh, sometimes that's what it's about. For others, it's the closeness. For others, it's that it's kinky or taboo in their mind, right? Another good one is that masturbation is uh, bad or only for the lonely or whatever it is. No, everyone gets to have a solo sexuality and that's under your control only. Your partner or partners, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, they don't get to weigh in on your solo sexuality. That's for you and you alone. They don't get to weigh in on what you're looking at, what you're doing, how you're doing it, how often. It's called solo sexuality. It's for you with yourself. It's your relationship, your own sexuality. Your partners get to weigh in on... Partnered sexuality. That's where they get brought in. But what you're doing with yourself is up to you. And some people, their sexual orientation is solo sexuality, where they're more geared towards sex with themselves. They are not really geared towards partnered sex. And that's important to know and to understand and explain. For some, that's even seen as being part on the asexual spectrum, you know? So again, masturbation gets to be for everyone, and you get to decide how that works in your life, not your partner. Your partner can say, hey, I miss having partnered sex, or can we have more partnered sex? You can request it like that, but you can't tell a partner. You're not allowed to masturbate. You're not allowed to look at porn. That's not your partner's business. If they don't like porn, then they shouldn't look at it. If they don't like masturbation, then they shouldn't do it. But your solo sexuality is about your personal autonomy and boundaries. And we have to have boundaries. We have to have boundaries with our husband, wife, boyfriend, or girlfriend. Whether you're married, monogamous, whatever it is, we have to have boundaries. We can say, you know what? That is something I'm not willing to bring you into. Everyone is allowed to have boundaries and privacy. You're allowed to say that is something I keep to and with myself. I don't want to talk about my solo sexuality maybe, what it looks like, how I do it. You're allowed to keep that to yourself. You don't have to talk about it. I want couples to be in relationships where they can, but sometimes with someone who has a sexual immaturity or they're very sex negative or sexually anxious and they're not safe enough or mature enough to be that open with, and you recognize that. And when they say, hey, do you look at porn? You say, you know what? I don't really talk about my solo sexuality. But let's work on building a more sex-positive, intimate relationship. And when I know that that's something we can both talk about without judgment, then I'll bring you into that part of my life. But until then, you have a right to set boundaries and have privacy, always. Um, Another thing is this whole idea about what's desirable. Look, we have this horrible thing about market value where we've all been socialized to see certain kinds of bodies or sexuality or sexual expressions as hot or healthy, but they all get to be you know and so i always say challenge yourself to maybe fantasize have sex with uh, masturbate to things that are a little bit beyond what we normally reinforce because our sexual orientations and our arousal templates are far bigger than usually what we just engage in you know they extend beyond that and uh before i wrap up i want to just give a special shout out to an article i was looking at and it was really beautiful it it really warmed my heart it was like a personal narrative and Essentially, it has to do with trans identity and gender exploration. And it's uh, from this page called Humans of St. Louis. It's kind of like Humans of New York. Um, And it's really beautiful. Basically, a shop owner was saying that an individual came in in their 70s, male presenting, male defined, and wanted to buy thigh-high boots and was saying, you know, I never felt safe or able to really explore my gender. And now at 70, with the world being the way it is, it feels safer and I feel more supported and I'm kind of coming out into more of a gender fluidity. And that individual bought those thigh-high boots and that 70-year-old man busted out, of the, busted out of the store with them. Months later, came this person comes in the store, the shop owner says in this narrative, and it was this beautiful, beautiful 70-year-old black woman and uh, and it was that man now as his female self. And these pronouns are based on how that person represents himself. So when he went in, he was a he and he was comfortable with that pronoun. Now he uses she and we refer to her as she. And uh, the shop owner was saying, what a beautiful moment and a joy to be a part of this person. But the bigger point is even in your seventies, even in your eighties, even in your nineties, your you're still allowed to want love. You're still allowed to want a sex life and to go have sex. You're still allowed to explore your gender. You're still allowed to come out as gay or queer or bi or sexually fluid and explore that. We ha- we get to have that our entire lives because our sexuality and our arousal is always in motion and our gender and we're allowed to keep deconstructing and challenging and trying and exploring. That's beauty, that's mental health. And What a beautiful antidote. All right, y'all, coming up next, question of the night. Uh, Still some time, so weigh in on that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, it's time for question of the night. So according to a new survey, 53% of people have picked up a new side hustle or gig in quarantine, more than half. I get it. Either they lost their main job or the main job is maybe kind of cut back or furloughed or all all sorts of colorful things are happening. So 53% of people have picked up a new hustle or side gig. I know tons of people, tons. I'm looking at you, OnlyFans. 46% said if their side gig makes them enough money, they'll quit their main job. Yeah, I get it, y'all. You gotta go where that money's at. (laughs) So the question of the night is, have you picked up a side hustle? And if so what is it? It's, it's, this is something that's so foreign to me. I always have so many jobs at one time that when I hear things like side hustle, I'm like, well, who's the time? Uh, but I understand that, that my career is quite different than other people's and, um, side hustle. What is it? All right. Let's see y'all. First person said, yes, now I have two jobs and I'm definitely feeling burnt out. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I don't know if, It's actually a side hustle or if you just have two like job jobs because side hustle in my mind is something that's maybe not even part-time. And sometimes each of them can just leak out these aren't always really confined within times and they can overlap. So I do work with some patients right now where they're kind of struggling with all the different gigs and hustles that they have and they're interlapping and overflowing and they're kind of like trying to figure out the boundaries, which you do need. Remember, you need at least, and again, I know that this is uh, it depends on your privilege and where you are financially, relationally, but if you could at least have two full days off where you're not needing to engage or think about work, that is huge. Somebody else said, as far as a question tonight, have you picked up a side hustle? And if so, what is it? Someone said, mine is baking but it's been a hobby for a while now it's been great to earn some extra money well done I can't stand baking I want to though like I've seen it and I'm like oh it looks like it's pretty fun but I feel like I would just rush to get to the end goal I just get it done so I can shove it down and eat it and then it's kind of like well wow, was a lot of effort when I can just buy it I know it's the process right it's the journey it's the journey that matters I don't like that journey but good for you I'd love to know what you're baking but I appreciate that now you're making money off it. I mean, shoot, if you can turn a hobby into a hustle, that's bomb, right? You know, like the thing that you like doing anyway for free, now you make some coin out of it. All right. Question of the night Have you picked up a side hustle? If so, what is it? Someone said, I started doing Uber Eats. Thank you. You person are a frontline worker. You are, you are helping a lot of people out. I've been using a lot of food delivery for a multitude of reasons. My anxiety and depression has just made it really hard for me to be motivated enough to like pull together and go cook or get out there. So thank you. But anyway, you continue to say, I started doing Uber eats, even though my workspace opened up, it's just not enough hours. I understand that. That's why I'm glad like some of these delivery services, et cetera, et cetera, exist because um, for some people, it's just not enough hours. You know, they're going back to work part time or a little bit more, a little bit less, and it's not helping them get all their needs met because the bills, those bills are still due. I, I don't know anyone who's had their bills cut down. Most companies are like, you know, we're going to come, we're coming collecting, if not now, eventually. It just sits there waiting. So there's anxiety in that too. Again, question of the night is have you picked up a side hustle? Because a survey showed that 53% of people did. It's more than half. It's not a good sign. I wish people didn't need to do that. I wish people could just work the job they work and then they could have a couple days off and relax. Like we work for money, right? And if your life isn't allowing time to engage in the fun, non-work things that are important to you, well then your life work balance is off. Like it's hard for some people to hear that, but we should be able to be finding time to do things that are important to us. And if you're not because of work, you gotta find ways to push back, cut back, and maybe find something new. We're not here just to work. We're here to find meaning and pleasure in our lives, right? So value that, that's healthy. Somebody else says, as far as question night, did you pick up a side hustle? Someone said, I've picked up some temp jobs, but now I'm finding time to get creative like I never have before. I'm creating my own game board. I love that, that's actually really cool. I don't know much about board games and game boards and all the different, I don't know anything about video games either. It's a world that's very foreign to me, but I get it. I see why people are drawn to it, Uh, very distracting, but yet there's a lot of energy in it, It can challenge you. I see the skill sets that are in there. I could see it. It can be a really healthy form of self-care and self-soothing, I'm into it, I'm into it. Uh, I don't know where I'd begin though. My mind goes old school, I'm like, I'm thinking Atari. I know, I know, don't laugh. Even Nintendo. That bad boy's still going though. All right, side hustle. Did you pick up one? It's question of the night. And if so, what are you doing? Someone said, I've started a juicing business. It's been nice because my partner's an essential worker and this allows me to bring in some money as well as stay home with the kids. See, I love that. Juicing's huge. I love, I like green juice. I'm a green juice person, not a uh, fruit juice. Not that there's anything bad about that, but I'm like, I like the all green, which some people find gross. I, for me, it's like a uh, vitamin um, IV down my throat. I love it. I can't get enough of that stuff. Um, Yeah, let me know what your juice where you are. Uh, question night. Study showed fifty three percent of people got that side gig going. I get it. So, uh, do you have one? And if so, what are you up to? This person said, "Since I can't DJ anymore, I've been doing virtual mixes and shows, but they just aren't the same. Sometimes I really do. Sometimes I really do be getting depressed and miss people. Yeah, I know. Me too. I'm seeing all my clients via Skype, and much like your shows and mixes from home, it's not the same." You know, we're doing the best we can. And for many people, the work is amazing. And, and I've watched some of these live stream shows and like, I'm all in. I've seen some live stream concerts and and it's good. It's fun. I know it's not the same though for you. Um, Maybe it's different for the viewer, but um, you know, the world's gonna come back. You gotta kind of hang in there, but I appreciate that. I miss seeing people too. I really do. It's very isolating because I'm following the rules. I'm following the damn rules. All right, coming up next, DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back now. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Annie, and I've been doing some research about this. I think I'm attracted to voices. I told my friends and they laugh at me, but I really do think it turns me on. Is this stupid? Uh, It doesn't matter if it's stupid. What does that even mean? We're attracted to what we're attracted to. And the work in learning more about our attractions aren't to figure out, number one, where they come from, because we'll never know. It's hyper-theoretical. It doesn't really matter. It's really about reducing shame and building confidence. Be, be turned on by voices. Is it stupid? Who cares? It might be to some people, but it's about self-awareness. You know, we live in a world where we don't really take the time to explore what truly turns us on. We think it's just gender-based. Oh, boys or girls. You know, it's so much bigger than that. What about them? What are they doing? What do you want to see them doing? What do you want to feel? What do you want to think about? Voices, for sure. I think voices plays a role in attraction for everyone. Um, it's rare that anyone's attracted to just one specific line, uh, one, one specific trait as though none of the other things matter when connected to it or, or what, what, what part of that trait do these other factors of someone bring out? You know, we can be attracted to anything. That's the interesting power of eroticism is it can literally be applied to anything. And I think that that can be a gift if some parts of what we're turned on by aren't accessible to us because of who we are in the world or because of partner choice. Thank God we have so many other things that turn us on and we can really track that as we move through the day. What are the things that grab your attention? Is it what someone's doing, what someone's wearing? Is it a scenario? Where do you find your fantasies going? What kind of porn do you like to look at, right? All these different things can really map out all the different qualities. what are they doing? Who are they? Where are they? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's shown? What's not shown? What's said? What's not said? But it's really just voices and nothing else matters. As long as I close my eyes and I hear the voice and it sounds hot, nothing else matters. It's really like that. That even came forward when people were talking about, um, you know, the word sapiosexual took off at one point where people were like, oh, it's about being attracted to intelligence. Well, yeah, but. Other things matter, it's not just anyone with intelligence, it's not just getting someone's IQ score and you'd be turned on by them. All these other factors have to kind of come together. So it's always bigger than just one thread of eroticism. But yeah, and that's what's interesting when we share with our friends what we're attracted to. It's a gift of deepening intimacy. I want people to say thank you, thank you for trusting me with that, thank you for wanting to be known better or deeper. But um, don't, don't laugh at someone when they share something vulnerable like that. You know, it's a really beautiful moment of them trying to just build intimacy. And I say that to partners too. You don't have to be equally as attracted to something or interested in doing it, but at least say thank you for them sharing that part of themselves with you. I mean, it's a vulner- it's a risk. It's a vulnerable moment that they're creating and they're kind of testing with you. Is this person safe to go to? you know, how's this person respond with things that make them uncomfortable? Or when I try to deepen, you know, how we relate to each other? Are they judgmental? Um, You know, so we want to grow out of that. We want to be open to learning about the people around us. But especially if you're in a committed romantic relationship with someone, I want them to always feel safe, letting you know who they are and what they're interested in. But But sometimes people in our lives aren't, and that's why we don't go to them with those elements of ourselves, and that's why we have boundaries and privacy. And we're allowed to assert that with anyone and everyone in our lives. Not everyone gets total access to who we are. Even in the most loving, long-term committed relationships, some parts of ourselves we keep to ourselves, right? And sometimes that's because of the health of our partner. They're not healthy to share this with. All that matters, friends are the same way. So um, try to be a better person in someone's life and really show up when they're trying to express these more vulnerable parts themselves. Say thank you. All right, y'all, that's our show. You can check out past episodes by going to wearechannelq.com. Tomorrow we'll be talking about hope, and I think it's an important topic right now. Based on everything that's going on and the fact that we're moving into a new year, what does that mean for us? Why is hope important? How do we try to be more centered in hope? And then tomorrow we're also going to be talking about how to be a better friend. Yep, that's a good one. If you've got a question for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Question of the Night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page in the stories, so weigh in on that. And uh, check out I'm Listening Live, my live stream show. It's on all the radio.com handles. Airs Thursday nights, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out with me. Spend the rest of your night focused in self-care, some rest and some joy, and uh, have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your evening.